there's nothing quite like Minnesota winter. Whether you want to try ice fishing, ice skating, or ice boating, make sure you know the risks and how to play it safe on the ice. Measure ice thickness frequently and never go out alone. Always wear your life jacket or a float coat and have ice picks readily accessible in case you fall through. Playing on the ice can be fun, but it's never 100% safe. Learn how you can play safe before you go out. Safety is always in season. A message from the Minnesota DNR. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Minnesota Bound podcast, the stories behind the stories. I'm Laura Shera, your host for today. And our next guest, Holly Hansen, is the head coach and founder of Bluff Country Biathlon. And uh, before we even explain what biathlon is, I want to welcome uh, Ms. Holly to the Minnesota Bound podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Well, we're excited to have you on. And um, Holly and I have been chatting on the phone about um, following you around for a day for Minnesota Bound on with the Bluff Country Biathlon team. And as we were chatting, we were talking um, about the uniqueness of the sport, but also the fact that a lot of people don't even know what biathlon is unless you watch the Olympics extensively. And even in my office, I was talking about doing a biathlon segment there. A lot of people were like, I have heard of it before, but I'm not quite sure what it is. So why don't we just start there? What is biathlon? Because we all know triathlon, but I don't think we know biathlon. Um, That's a really good question. I get that question quite frequently when they find out that I'm coaching a biathlon program. Um, It's actually the number one watched winter sport in all of Europe. Um, There's about Yes, there's probably about 36.5 million people that actually tune into the World Cup events. So it's a significant sport in Europe. Um, it's, it's unique because biathlon is like two diopposing forces. It's Nordic skiing into a range with your heart pounding and your body fatigued and remaining calm and relaxed while controlling your breath and shooting at five small black dots, which are the targets about 50 meters or actually 50 meters away. Essentially, it's like if the average person ran up a flight of stairs and tried to thread a needle, that's basically the sport of biathlon in a nutshell. Oh my goodness. That should be like a family sport on a holiday. So we're going to reenact the biathlon. Everybody's going to do five laps up and down the stairs. And then whoever can throw the needle fastest the most accurately wins. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love I it. I can see that like a Thanksgiving tradition. So we're, okay, let's, let's start with how much, what is the distance they, and there's, are they skate skiing or is it classic cross country skiing first? Yes. Um, they have moved to skate skiing. And like for junior and youth men and women, um, we just had trials and the sprint event was the first event on the first day. That was 10 kilometers for the men, 7.5 kilometers for the women. And then they moved into the pursuit format the next day. And that was 10 kilometers for men, 10 for women. Um, and then sometimes it's a 6K for women for a sprint event. So there's all different differences depending upon the format of the biathlon event. Okay. And then are they skiing, shooting, skiing, shooting, or do they do all their skiing and then shoot at the very end? How does that setup work? Is that different as well? Yes, that is different depending upon the format. 
For instance, um, a sprint race is one prone position when you come in the first time into the range, which prone means that you're laying down. And then they ski out of the range and come back in, and then it's standing. And then they ski out of the range and finish the last loop um, to the finish line. Um, in a pursuit format, it's four stages. So it's prone, prone, standing, standing. Um, in other races, it could be prone, standing, prone standing, um, but those are kind of more one-off situations. Not and does as. the yardage differentiate per how far they're shooting distance-wise with the rifle? Yes. No, that stays at 50 meters. Okay. Um, what changes are the targets? Um, the targets are metal targets that have five circles, which are the targets. And there's a system where there's it shifts so that the prone target that is about the size of a golf ball, that gets set for when they're in prone position. When they come through in standing position, a metal plate slides so the target expands to about four and a half inches wide, um, which is probably a little bit big, bigger than the size of a softball, most likely. Um, and so that's where it cha changes. The distance 50 meters to the target never changes. Got it. And then when you say they're standing, are they able to use sticks to help them keep the rifle steady? Or is that just pure standing with your own body weight holding up the rifle? Yes, that's the complexity of biathlon. When you come in in a standing position on your skis, you basically are at an angle to the target and you basically have to create a platform with your body where you link your front elbow into your front hip and kind of slide your hip out as your right hand is on the pistol grip and that's where you use um, where you have your trigger pull. So there's nothing to aid you in that. It's all um, based on the athlete's ability to hold in that position. And it gets a little bit more tricky and difficult when the wind's blowing because not only is the wind going to um, impact the bullet going down range to the target. It's also blowing on the athletes that are trying to be in a stable, steady position. And in prone, however, you do have a cuff and a sling that you link into the cuff, which does give you more stability. So if you're laying on your stomach, you'll see um, a biathlete grab a hook from the sling of their rifle clip it into um, a band, a cuff that is just above the bicep. And when they get into their prone position, that holds the rifle more steady um, so that it helps with the accuracy. So that's the only aid that biathletes have. That is incredible. Because my understanding, they're not taking their skis off when they're shooting. Like they're not hopping in and out of bindings. Is that correct? Correct. So when they're coming into the range, they have a really strict range procedure protocol that they follow for both the prone and standing positions. And so when they come in, if they're getting into the prone position, they'll literally drop to their knees with their skis splayed, 
put their right hand forward, kind of brace them as they're clipping in and getting down into position. And when they're getting up, it's kind of the reverse procedure as they're throwing the rifle back on their back because they have to ski with it. Um, they have kind of like a backpack harness with that they ski with. So they have to be very efficient when they're coming in the range to actually get the rifle off their back as quickly as possible, get into position as quickly as, as possible, control their breathing, taking their shots accurately, because every single shot that they miss, they're penalized with a penalty loop. And what that means is once they're done shooting, if they miss, for instance, one shot, they pop out of position, get their rifle back on their back, ski off as they're putting it on their poles. They go into the penalty lap, and that's 150 meters extra that they have to ski around before they can go back on the race course. And that adds about 30 plus seconds onto their time. If you miss two shots, then you have to do two penalty laps, adding you know, a minute to your time. So you really need to balance being fast in and out of the range and taking your shots, but you can't sacrifice speed for accuracy because in the long run, penalty laps will add more to your time than if you have to take that extra breath to make sure you get that solid um, shot on target. And Athletes have kind of described being in the penalty loop area is kind of like getting a timeout. So when, you know, you're younger and you got timeout in school, that's kind of what it's like where you're doing these laps and you're seeing everybody else who have cleaned their targets, which means knocking down all five, which is very good when that happens. Um, they see those competitors get back on the course and then they have to try to catch up to them. So that is one thing that makes biathlon really, really exciting because it basically comes down to sometimes the last shot in any race that determines who's going to win or podium at the top three and dropping down into maybe 20th place. That is incredible. So the the way the way you, that you would make it to the podium is all based off of essentially your time so the more accurate you are with your shooting hence you would probably have a shorter time or is it is it judged off of two do you have point systems for the number of shots that are accurate plus your time that's a really good question um to clarify it's based on time so where that differentiator differentiator comes in place is when you miss more shots, you add more time because it takes you that extra time to do the penalty laps and get back on course. So um, it's you're correct that it's based on the misses or the hits that you get, get differentiates you from your competitors on the race course. That is the, fascinating. So... Where I know biathlon has somewhat of an extensive history on how it even became an Olympic sport. Do you have some, I'm sure you have some general knowledge on the history and where biathlon really started and why this became a sport in the first place? Yes. Um, 
it's interesting. It goes back about 4,000 years ago. And it started when Scandinavian hunters um, in the wintertime, they used it as survival skills in the forest. And they literally would go out on their skis, sling their rifles over their shoulders, and go out hunting. And that was their main um, way to provide for their families. Um, then it was probably about the 17 or 1800s that the Norwegian military began kind of using um, skis for um, training exercises and ways to protect the borders. And then it was in 1943 that the 10th Mountain Division began training about 20,000 soldiers here in the United States. Um, they were training them for winter mountain warfare, and that was in Camp Hale, Colorado, um, after World War II, when that wasn't as um, necessary. Um, they kind of moved it to be more of competitions in between um, for the soldiers. Interesting. And do you know when it was introduced as an Olympic sport? Yeah. Um, to begin with, um, about in the 1920s, I think it was the 1924 Olympics, um, it became as the first demonstration. And it continued to be just a demonstration event um, till 1960. And then it was recognized as the official Olympic sport. Um, unfortunately, women weren't able to compete until 1992. And 92? Early... Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> what are we waiting for? 92? I was almost I graduating from high school. That's crazy. I did not know that. Well, welcome, ladies. <laughs> yes. There, there was quite the gap, um, but we're there. And um, awesome. the U.S. women are doing really well. Deidre Irwin is um, a U.S. biathlete from Wisconsin, and she's doing a really great job. Uh, Claire Egan, Susan Dunkley, amongst other women, they kind of blazed the trail to really um, get the U.S. team um, on the podium. and. Um, they're really gaining some really good traction. So it's really fun to watch them. That's incredible. How many countries participate in biathlon in the Olympics? That is mm -hmm. a really good question. More than you would think. Um, really? There's a lot of smaller countries that actually have biathlon. Like I believe there's one athlete from, um, from, uh, it's okay if you can't remember. I'm sure it's yeah, yeah. A lot of I'm sorry. Out there. <laughs> yeah, there are. I, what I do know is that the European countries are the powerhouses. Sure. Um, so the European countries are powerhouses. Um, you have Norway, Sweden, Germany, France, um, Italy. Um, they're always kind of leading the way in terms of getting on the podium and doing extremely well. Sure. I would assume generationally, they just have been introduced to it probably at young ages and um, it's more common sports over there um, that they would have, just have started at a younger age. Like what does it take to be an elite biathlon athlete? Because there is this fascination about 
being able to not only like, it's almost like you're running a marathon, but then being able to like slow your heart rate and your breathing down that that is a very intricate skill set because even when you're hunting big game and you have an opportunity um, to harvest an animal, your adrenaline starts going, your heart rate starts going. And many times the anxiety in itself of all that happening can really ruin a shot for people. So there is this breathing technique you can do to have it a little bit more accuracy and accuracy to slow down your trigger pull and all those things. But you're not running a marathon while you're trying to do that. So is there like, how do you practice that? How do you practice slowing your heart rate down besides just having the most incredible in shape heart ever? You know, that is, a, like you alluded to, that's a really big part of biathlon um, because you can be a fast skier and then you have to literally switch from being a Nordic skier, skiing fast, skiing aggressively to taking and switching that completely off when you hit the range, and then you're a precise marksman. So on the course, you have to demonstrate power, strength, solid technique, and speed to succeed. And then when you come onto the range, you have to be both fast and precise with an incredible amount of focus. And that's a combination that makes a champion. And to get to that point, you have to kind of break things down because we worked on this a lot last summer with my team, is that we would go to the roller uh, ski um, facility and biathlon range up in Elk River. Um, and we would start skiing and shooting groups and then increasing their heart rate by 10 beats every time they came through. And what happens is when you get to a certain place where your heart rate is too high, your groups start to expand and then you lose your ability to shoot precisely and accurately on target. So you kind of have to find that spot for every individual of where they can still shoot precisely and accurately with a high, high, high heart rate coming into the range. Um, and then practicing that over and over and over again until you feel comfortable with it. So it's not an easy thing to do, but once you kind of start nailing it down and figuring out where that is, then they can repeat that over and over again. Most people think that you have to really slow your heart rate down, which that can not be ideal either. So you have to find basically optimal heart rate. And if it's higher, then you can ski faster, more aggressively on the um, course, which is going to give you a competitive advantage. It's been a really fun fall at the cabin, raking leaves and we pulled the dock earlier. Now the lake is freezing up and we're on to winter. And that means we get to enjoy Connecticut water in the woods. You know, a year ago, we were lucky enough to add Connecticut water at the cabin and what a difference it has made. You know, for as long as I can remember, we dealt with that stinky, foul well water. 
But after a painless four-hour installation, we have Kinetico's soft water and also Kinetico's K5 drinking system. No more bottled water to try and make early morning coffee. Great drinking water right out of the K5 tap. Our laundry no longer smells funny, and Kinetico water also cleaned up the showers and the dishes. The world's most efficient, worry-free water system. Visit Kinetico.com to find a dealer near you and join the Kinetico family. Hi, everybody. Ron Shera here again with another nifty story, this one about my favorite bank, the story of Starbank. There's 10 of them in Minnesota, but here's where the plot thickens. A star bank is more than money. A star bank cares, cares about its customers, cares about the community, whether it's town parades or the kids' baseball team. Why? Because star banks are locally owned. They treat you right. Quite a tale, wouldn't you say? How do I know? Because star bank is also our bank at Ron Share Productions. Just another story with a happy ending. Star bank, the bank that cares. Member FDIC. To learn more online, go to star.bank. Hey there, Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. Propane, it's clean, efficient fuel produced right here in the United States. Schedule your propane service with a friend. Lakes Gas, a family-owned provider serving the upper Midwest for more than 60 years. 54 convenient locations in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Now with offices in North Dakota and South Dakota, too. Lakes Gas employees live in the communities they serve, so you can expect personalized service from professionals. Oh, and the Lakes Gas offers competitive pricing without all the extras that tend to drive up fuel prices. Safe, dependable service. Lakes Gas, the right choice for your home, business, or farm. Visit lakesgas.com and join the family. So... At some point, there has to be some sort of, like there would be for a long distance runner. I mean, some people have a natural ability and some people it's all um, a little bit of natural ability and also hard work. Um, I would think, like they said with Lance Armstrong, for instance, that he didn't have a larger heart than the normal person or something where he was able to go at such distances, et cetera, besides the other things he was doing, but, um, is, do you find that it's a little bit of both or is really, is it, can you really make a champion out of someone who just wants to work really hard? Is there a little bit of natural genetics going on in this sport? I I think there's some natural, um, genetics. I think that's pretty true in most sports. Um, but if an athlete works hard and they dedicate themselves to, um, doing the physiological training, doing the marksmanship training, doing the mental training, all facets, facets of this sport, they can be good and successful at it. Um, I do know that their VO2 um, max comes into play, um, but um, I've had athletes that have worked really hard focused on the right things and have succeeded and done really well in this sport. And from my understanding, only from digging up a little bit about biathlon and biathlon knowledge is that the U S has yet to win a medal in the biathlon. Is that still true? In the Olympics? Yes, you are absolutely correct. And 
Yes. Um, Tim Burke um, has meddled in the world. I think it was the World Cup, and so has Lowell Bailey. Um, but we do not have, and Susan Dunkley, um, and uh, I think a few others. Um, but no one has meddled in the Olympics. And U.S. Biathlon has a 2030 plan, which they're really focused on building clubs, developing youth, and developing um, the athletes that are in the pipeline right now with the goal is to bring home the first Olympic medal. And they are very passionate about that, and they're working really hard to achieve that. So I'm very excited for the future of U.S. Biathlon and what's going to happen in the next Olympics. I am too. You know, when we were chatting, you were sharing with me how many biathlon clubs Minnesota has, which it surprised me on how many clubs there are and actually how many uh, people are participating in the sport and that it really continues to grow. Like how many clubs does Minnesota have right now in biathlon? Uh we have grown in the last uh, probably five years. We have Duluth Club, which is at Snowflake um, Ski Area. We have uh, Mount Itasca, which is in Coleraine, Minnesota, which is just outside of Grand Rapids. Um, that's where we just had the U.S. Uh, junior and Youth Trials for the World Championships and the Youth Olympics. Um, we just had those trials last week. Um, we have... It went really, really well. Um, athletes really competed well. Um, we had to uh, make a course out of not a lot of snow, but the uh, folks at Mount Itasca have been working around the clock throughout the month of December making snow and really doing a good job. They did a great job of grooming up a really nice race course for the athletes. And uh, we had some athletes that, um, barely missed qualifying for those events from Minnesota. And we had a couple athletes that did qualify. Um, Evelyn uh, Herdlick uh, from Forest Lake made the IBU team. Nice. And uh, Alexandria Rudd um, made a team as well. And then um, uh, there was one more... Um, person that made it on the men's side. So we, we, we did well, and I'm really proud of the athletes. Um, they really, um, without having the ability to train on a lot of snow this season, um, they did really, really well. And some barely, barely missed from qualifying. So. Wow. That's amazing. Um, yeah. okay. So I st I interrupted you at, after Duluth, the oh. biathlon club. So we have Duluth, and of then, course, we have Bluff Country. Yeah. Yep. And we're um, south of the cities. We're in Red Wing, um, but I have athletes from Stillwater, Northfield, uh, Red Wing, Lake City. Um, so uh, and another person who is in the north part of the cities who will be driving down to train with us as well. So I'm always open to anybody that wants to train with us or just try it out and see if it's something they want to do. Um, and then there is um, Alexandria, and then uh, Elk River. There is uh, a roller ski course and a snow course and a biathlon range at, I believe it's Woodlands uh, Regional Park there. 
So that really Amazing. covers kind of the no northern Twin Cities area. And how many um, people do you have currently participating in biathlon within all these clubs? On uh, average, not we, even an exact number, just average. Okay. For instance, um, at trials, we had, I think, 24 athletes go to trials, wow. which uh, Minnesota is a very, very strong program for biathlon. And um, we always have high numbers um, that go to nationals and trials and different events. And what is the age range for competing in biathlon? Like when is the youngest um, you would start? I usually look at it as when they're ready with their biathlon skills. Um, okay. I've had kids actually start out as young as uh, like 14. Um, I do have in my program where really small kids, I have kind of a Nerf gun set up to introduce them to the sport and do like an obstacle course. Um, and then we move to electronic rifles, um, which actually are uh, camera operated where um, it has a pad that shows everything about your shot and it gives them a lot of great feedback. Um, and then they transition to pellet rifles and then when they're ready for uh, 22. So we can do races with pellet rifles um, if they're not quite to that stage where they're ready um, to use a 22 rifle. Um, and so again, it's kind of based on um, ability level. Um, we really focus on rifle safety um, mm -hmm. and we start that right out of the chute. Even with a, a Nerf rifle, we treat that as if it's a, a live firearm and we are very, very strict on our safety procedures. Is that, um, is there, is there a way to get disqualified or have time put against you if within the race, if there is safety violations or things with the rifle and how it's handled or if the safety is on or off or anything like that? Does that, is that part of the competition? Yes. Yes. They take that very seriously. Um, sure. you have to have your bolt open um, when your rifle is on the rack, in your bag, um, they have to be completely unloaded. Um, and they have officials uh, that watch because even uh, official rifle bag has to have a clear window that the officials can just look and see that your chamber is open and there's no bullets in there. Um, so there are different um, safety protocols that um, are strictly followed. Interesting. And if someone wanted to get started doing this sport per se, is do you need to come into your club, for instance, knowing how to skate ski? Is that like the basics of what you need to know? Like, or do you teach people straight from, I, this is the first time I'm putting on skate skis, for, for instance, do they, do you start them from scratch or do they have to have some sort of basic skill? <laughs> um, no, no basic skill. I, I have a little bit of a, a story to kind of illustrate that. Sure. One of my top, top women who, um, competed at trials, nationals, um, when she first started skate skiing, she got stuck in the middle of a hill and we laugh about this now. I had to reach back with my pole. She grabbed onto it and I basically pulled her up the hill. 
So that's, that's where like my way of skate skiing and how I've been. <laughs> skating it's skate skiing is a little bit more rigorous than classic striding um, technique. And sometimes it takes kids a little bit longer to kind of grasp a hold of it. So no, you don't have to be able to ski. Um, I want to be able to offer this to kids that just want to do it for fun that, you know, they don't necessarily want to go the Olympic development route. Um, I think it's really, really important to get kids outside and get them to fall in love with the outdoors, being healthy and active. And that's one of my bigger goals for um, the team is just that they discover something they can do for the rest of their lives, you know, and that's super important. For sure. And I interrupted your story about the young lady that got stuck in the hill. Is she now a world champion? Yeah, she, she's, her? <laughs> she, she's doing really well. She's now, she is her first year skiing for, um, St. Scholastica up in Duluth, still doing biathlon and doing well. Um, she was invited to the regional, um, us Olympic kind of talent ID camp that was just in, um, Brilliant, Wisconsin. Um, we had quite a few athletes go to that event and she was there, um, training with some of the Olympic coaches. So cool. And how old is the oldest Minnesota biathlon club? How long has it been around? I know there's some newer ones, but do you know how the age of the oldest? Yeah, I do not know, um, the answer to that. Um, I know Grand Rapids or, um, Coleraine has been around for quite a while. Um, and then I believe it was, there was another Brainerd Niswa is another, um, area that, um, they had, um, a range. Um, and then I think Elk River was a newer addition. And I think I started about four years ago, um, Bluff Country, um, but I'm not sure how long ago um, the actual beginning of Minnesota Biathlon was started. No worries. I was uh, I did a story on the Minneapolis Ski Jumping Club, and that club is celebrating a hundred years. And wow. some of these Olympic sports, you know, they've obviously have been around for many, many years. So I'm curious on if people have been participating in biathlon in Minnesota for over a hundred years um, at one of these clubs, just be, the Minneapolis ski club, I think they had sent, I want to say three or four of their athletes went to the Olympics over the years. And I think the last one I want to say was in the seventies sometimes, or maybe the eighties, but um, anyway, some of the, just the uniqueness of our, um, some of the Nordic sports that continue on in the state of Minnesota for how many years um, just fascinates me on, you know, these, you don't think of biathlon very often when with common winter sports, and then you start digging into it and you realize there are a lot of people that participate and it's actually a very old sport. <laughs> Same yes. with ski jumping off of a, a massive ski jump that's covered in ice. Um, Absolutely. Same, same um, thing. I don't know if you're aware, Red Wing was kind of the birthplace of ski jumping and the Hall of Fame um, is here at the museum in Red Wing. And little kids would literally find old wooden barrels back in the early 1900s 
and make ski jumps out of snow in their backyards. And they would strap these old pieces of wooden barrels under their boots and they would aspire to be um, ski jumpers. It was really? really, yeah, it was really big in Red Wing. They were renowned for the Red Wing um, ski jumping technique was famous back then. So there's a lot of rich history in Red Wing that most people don't know where, aren't aware of. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, it's, you know, when you watch someone go off that ski jump, which is off of 494 in Bloomington, and you're standing at the top of it and you realize that it's not snow, it's ice and how fast they're flying. And it's a relatively safe sport, believe it or not. <laughs> um, it's fascinating that you could get anybody to take the leap or take the jump, uh, pun intended there, to do that. Because when you watch it, it just seems so, um, I don't know, a adrenaline junkie type thing to do. And then you talk to the people that are doing it. And one of the gentlemen was, I think, 56 years old, still ski jumping. And he's like, yeah, it just kind of feels like you're floating through the air and then you land. Um, so it's, yeah, it's fascinating how old some of these things are. But to be doing that just with wooden barrels, you know, back in the early 1900s doesn't seem quite as safe as probably what it is today. But um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Correct. It's, it's, it is amazing. It's when you drive past those, um, ski jumps, it's, you just shake your head and it's just like, how do you start doing that? It's just amazing. It's, it's it is, another, you know sorry, go ahead. Nope. It's, it's just amazing sport. It's so fun to watch. It really is. And how they started, actually, they started me um, to give it a try. And they have baby jumps that you work your way up. So they have one that is, I think maybe it's eight inches, the jump off the ground. And then one is like a foot. And I think another one's like three feet. So even the one I started, I think the one that was 12 inches and I did graduate to the one up from that. But even the babyest one felt scary to me. <laughs> and the coach was like, there are children that use this every day. He's like, you're not going to injure yourself. <laughs> Just the idea that you're on these massive plank skis, that the binding, that your your foot is locked in there. You're not getting out of a binding. And um, and you're just going to go through the air for a little bit. But I don't know what it is when someone's... And they have to somewhat kind of push you down it too. So I think it was just the combination of all that. But then once I got off the baby one, I was like, all right, that's actually pretty easy. So I did graduate to the next one, but each one gets your adrenaline going. So they said it takes years on the those small jumps. It could take five, six years before they'll graduate you to um, that big jump. But um, once they do, man, that is quite the leap for sure. And um, speaking of leaps, you originally were a track and field and soccer coach. So how did you... And why did you transition into coaching biathlon? Are you a rifle sniper yourself or did you just have an interesting interest in skate skiing? What was it? Th that's a really good question. Um, back when I was in high school, um, I almost took up competitive shooting, um, but was unable to because I logistically, I wouldn't be able to go and get to a range, do the training, all that sort of thing. Um, I've been kind of a late bloomer 
in discovering Nordic skiing. Um, I didn't discover it until probably about 10 years ago and fell in love with it. Um, by far, it's the my favorite activity to do, um, cycling being kind of number two. Um, and so all of a sudden, I kind of had this epiphany that um, if I learn how to skate ski, because I started out with the classic discipline and I started getting in races with that, and I thought, gee, I can do biathlon now. And it literally took me like two years to figure out where do you get the equipment, how do you train, where are the races, all that sort of thing. Um, so then I kind of started to kind of think, well, how do kids get involved in this? And that's where I decided to start the club um, and start a team down here and try to help um, athletes get involved and so that they would get the right equipment, get the right training, uh, be able to compete in uh, different um, uh, events. Um, so that's kind of how it started. And being a track and field coach, I just really love details like bio biomechanical details, different technique details that you can really distill into small little movements. And by perfecting those, it gives you the edge over your competition. And with biathlon, it's the same. It's a unique sport that combines both the mental toughness and resilience and it's exhilarating physical challenge all rolled into one. And it's one of those things, if you've had a bad shooting bout, you have to be able to mentally recal uh, recalibrate and refocus and put it behind you. And you have to come back into the range, focused, ready to shoot. And it's that and the technique and biomechanical things associated with skiing and the technique and little details that you really have to fine tune in terms of the marksmanship. So that's kind of my um, journey and how I kind of discovered it and kind of how I moved into the co coaching portion of it um, as well. Got it. And, um, I see here that you also not only um, you coach para athletes in the sport of biathlon. Is that true? Yeah. That's yes, great. that is correct. Um, I really enjoy that. Um, my uh, para athlete that I'm working with now, um, she's very talented, very tenacious, very focused, very determined. Um, she has uh, finished on the top of a podium um, amongst able-bodied um, athletes. Love it. Um, yeah, she did extremely well. She um, participated in trials um, and did really well there. Um, she's been invited to um, training camps in Canada and at the U.S. Olympic Center. She spent a week at Lake Placid with Olympians this last summer, um, training at a training camp. Um, she's was at nationals, um, last, uh, March and she was sharing a lane with an Olympic, uh, Paralympic Olympian who basically said that she's shooting better than a lot of the 
professionals are right now, which gives a huge testimonial to her dedication and focus on honing her skills and really trying to be the best that she can be. Um, I have another athlete who might be joining us, um, who is a para-athlete. Um, I really enjoy um, working with her, and uh, I look forward to more athletes that are interested in trying the sport. Absolutely. And if someone is interested in trying this sport, um, obviously, if someone has Olympic dreams, that would mean that you're of a younger age. But if you're someone past the Olympic aspiration and you just want to try biathlon, are you? Do you offer like classes, or can anybody come participate in biathlon? Like, how does? Are there places where, if you're older and you do want to try it, you can do that, or is it really just for the young folk? <laughs> yes, um, I'm a test. I, I'm a testament to it. Doesn't matter how old you are, you can try biathlon. Um, and I have uh, a couple people that approach me that are in the master's division. There's all these different age groups of um, uh, where you can participate in biathlon in different events. So there is a master's program. Wisconsin has a huge master's program, and um, they have probably at least 20 guys that ski um, at our competitions um, regularly throughout the winter. And they actually go to the world masters, um, competition over in Europe. Um, but yes, any age, um, I'll work with and I'll introduce them into the sport. Um, they can contact me and just say, Hey, I'm interested in it. We can set up some time where they can come and actually try it out and see if it's something they want to do. Um, so any age is welcome to try it. Um, and I would be more than happy to help them kind of figure out how to get involved in it. So cool. I, um, Holly, thank you for joining us today. You've been a wealth of information. I've learned so much about biathlon. Actually, it's, um, the more you talk about it, the more I want to give it a try. I'm going to have to polish up my skate skiing skills. Um, I feel like I can get going a little bit, but it's those hills and specifically the downhill that kind of gets me because there's not really an edge on the skate ski as much as I, there is like on a downhill ski per se. Um, but I would love to try it. It sounds just like the coolest sport. And I'm actually curious, I forgot to ask you, how much does the rifle weigh on average? How much are you carrying around when you're skate skiing? Weight wise. I believe it's, I believe it's, I think it's six pounds, around six pounds. Okay. Is what I want to say. It's about six pounds. There is a specific weight. It has to be to be official. And it's, I think six point something. Um, but yes, you're, you're more than welcome to come down and give it a try. Um, and I'm always open to help people with their, uh, skate technique as well. Love it. And um, if our listeners want any more information on um, Bluff Country Biathlon, where can they find you or Bluff Country? Do you have a website, Instagram, Facebook page, any of those things? Yes, we do have a Facebook page, which is Bluff Country Biathlon, or they can email me at Bluff Country Biathlon, the number two at gmail.com. Um, we do have, um, through Minnesota Biathlon, we do have a novice event coming up 
which you can sign up and register for it. And um, that will be in Elk River. I believe it's on February 25th that it's scheduled for. And they allow um, so many people, because they will only have so many rifles available, um, but they do allow people to come and do a novice event there and learn about it and actually be able to shoot a rifle. Um, and you can go to Minnesota Biathlon's website which is just minnesotabiathlon.com. Um, they also have a Facebook page. And we are also looking for coaches. Um, and U.S. Biathlon does uh, training, has resources available if somebody wants to start their own team. Um, and you can go to uh, usbiathlon.org. And then they also have uh, links to all the international races that our U.S. athletes are skiing in. So cool. Well, thank you, Holly, for joining us today. I love um, your passion and learning more about biathlon. And of course, your uh, also your passion to get uh, all generations outdoors um, and doing unique things such as skiing with a six pound rifle on your back and shooting accurately <laughs> for long <laughs> distances. <laughs> well, thanks yeah. again for joining us. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me and thank you for your interest in this sport. It is an amazing sport and, um, I hope people, uh, take me up on my offer to learn more about it. Yes, me too. And when is the next winter Olympics? Cause I know the, we have, isn't it Paris is coming up that summer Olympics, isn't it? Yes. Uh, I want to say it's 20, is it 24? Oh my gosh. Um, is that next? This will be this year. I'm like, hello, it's 24 now. Wait, um, no, it's not. We, the oh, youth wait, Olympics LA, is LA? opposite. Yes. It's LA. And then, oh, I don't know why I'm having a mind blank right now. Um, well, I am too. It, it, it gets confusing because you hear a lot of news about cities that are bidding for it. And then you can't remember if that's for a summer or a winter Olympics. And so I get confused too. We're going to have to look that one up. But if you're looking for biathlon um, at the next Olympics, um, I was just curious on what country it'll be taking place in, but I'll look that up myself. Yes. I, I was so focused on trials and trying to get people qualified for the youth Olympics, which is actually coming up this month. Um, I was so focused on that, that I didn't even move ahead to, uh, the actual Olympics. Olympics. So yeah, I get it. Lots of things going on. Well, good luck to you at the youth Olympics. That's super exciting. I wish all of the athletes good luck and, um, that they have accurate shooting and success. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thank you again, Holly. And also thanks to our sponsors, Connecticut lakes, gas and star bank. Remember, introduce a kid to the great outdoors. Mm -hmm.